We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week is Greg Smith. Greg, at this point, it's it's more likely that you're on the podcast than you're not. I think it's a bigger deal when you're not on the podcast any given week. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. That's that's fine. I enjoy riding shotgun with you on the pod, um, but I'm well. It's it's a good day in the Smith household. Um, you are the Smith household is a PlayStation household. Did you see the PlayStation Five event on Thursday? We are not actually a PlayStation household. We're we're an Xbox household. Um, what? What did you yeah, switch? I, I've had for a while. It's been a while. Um, at some point a while back, I did have a PlayStation. Um, I did never get used to it. I'm one of the weird people that that feels like weird people because PlayStation I think outsells Xbox by a lot. Um, that has always been with Xbox. Like I, I just always have been, um, except for the PS2. Um, Xbox have always been kind of my main console, but I did see the reveal. Um, the machine itself looks a little wonky. The gameplay, or the I guess like video from the games looked really cool. Um, so we'll see. I still believe this is my thing, and like I don't know how you feel about it. If they announce that like a new college football game is coming and it'll be exclusive to the PS5, um, I'll definitely get it. But save for that, like I think I'll wait uh, for a little bit. Well, so, okay, I asked you because I specifically remember you had a PlayStation 4, (laughs) and when that Spider-Man game came out that was exclusive to the PlayStation 4, I was trying to figure out a way to borrow your PlayStation 4 (laughs) so that I could play the Spider-Man game. Because I have been an Xbox household. I I, I think the way it goes is, like, you start with a PlayStation 2, and then you get a 360, and then I think most people got a PlayStation 4, but I got an Xbox One. Um, but I really wanted the Spider-Man game and I've, I've talked to you about this before, but the PlayStation five event the other day, the best thing to come out of it was that they're making a Miles Morales Spider-Man game. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and I did, yeah, I had one for a little bit, um, because I wanted, and it was actually before it may have been right before the spider-man game um because i really wanted uh mlb the show like you can only have that on ps or on the ps4 it's a playstation exclusive um but my problem with leaving xbox completely is that i i really like the forza series like the race car uh game series 
and I didn't think that Gran Turismo, I thought that that took kind of a weird turn and wasn't as good as it used to be. So I just, I switched back to Xbox One and it's probably been, it's been over a year now. Um, but yeah, sorry, not a, I did not announce that. But yes, I have no longer a PlayStation household. Okay. I don't pretend to be much of a gamer because the only games I play are like Madden, uh, 2K and FIFA when it's not a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> um, and And those games are like, like the new 2K trailer is basically it, here's the exact same footage from a year ago, except we're gonna add more sweat to the guy's face. Yeah, what was with that? Like, I don't understand why they <laughs> thought that was such a big deal. I was trying to figure out what what I was missing, uh, other than the sweat, because I, I just didn't get that at all. Like, I'd like them in the I, like that's the game that I play like the most by far at this point. Um, I have a franchise mode going with the Raptors right now, where I'm trying to tear it down and then build them up. Um, and I, it, there's so many bugs and glitches in that game, it drives me nuts. And so they need to it fix really that. Is. Well, they also need to fix um, their... I, I tried playing online for the first time with my brother a couple of days ago, and the shot meter was delayed. Oh, cool. And it was a nightmare to try to shoot. I Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy that the best... One of the best sports games still is a game that came out now, what, six or seven years ago? NCAA 14 yep. on the Xbox 360 or the whatever the the PlayStation 3, yeah, we will uh, we will continue to play that until the day the Xbox stops working. So there, do you think we're gonna get a new game? I I it's it's crazy. I, I feel like I, I assume EA. Want like it very much wants to have it because they see still the clamoring for it, which at some point will go away. So you don't want to necessarily like lose that. Um, it seems like a full on NCAA issue though, and and it's just not a priority for them. So it's going to take someone getting it getting in their ear to be able to figure it out. But I just can't imagine we never get another NCAA football game. Like it, it just would be weird given how much the attachment that people have to that game how good it was um and just like the possibilities of what you could do now versus the last time the game came out it would just be odd if you don't get another one it's one of those things where it feels like the money to be made for me not for me specifically but in, in my opinion the money to be made at one point or another in the next few years hopefully it's it's a short amount of time somebody's gonna realize like hey it's just it's more beneficial for us if we just figure out a way to make this happen than it is if we just say, yeah, it's never going to happen again. Because I don't think there's going to be people that stop wanting to play it. Like you said, you think the the hype around it is going to go away? I don't think the hype around it is going to go away anytime soon. There, there are people that for seven years have been updating the like 130 program rosters. That's true. Like that. That is time true. Consuming. Yeah, definitely. Because remember, like, I don't know if you did this, um, like when the game, like, I mean, it's been years since it came out. But before, when you would try to make the, you would try to do the rosters yourself, and just doing one team 
it is just so time consuming. Like I would sit with the Phil Still magazine and try and put the <laughs> rosters in and it was just a nightmare. I said this was probably it probably it probably was in the PS2 days because you couldn't it was before you could really do it online and just download the rosters and you had to get a memory card and ship it to someone and then they'd ship it back. Um that whole nightmare and I just didn't want to do all of that. Um so yeah, it's it's come a long way cuz you can just download them now. Got a little bit of nostalgia working right now in a time of, uh, com- uh, I shouldn't say complete uncertainty because we're getting a little bit of traction, but um, a- a unknown territory. This is therapeutic. Yeah. Football is coming back, though. Um, we are here to talk about a couple of different things. So with the yearbook, the 2020 Hale Varsity yearbook um, coming out soon, we're hard at work on on finishing that up. Greg, I talked to you and I talked to Aaron Sorensen two weekends ago not this last pod but the one before it about your guys's yearbook features greg you wrote about wando robinson we're going to talk about him in a little bit and you also were kind enough to share some of your interview audio with dale robinson wando's father and we're going to have that just kind of running in its entirety a little bit later um first though i want to talk to you there there were two news items that happened this week the first being that football is going to look similar in the preseason. Recruiting might not look the same. So on, what was it, Thursday, I believe, the NCAA's Football Oversight Committee, um, they passed a recommendation that is now just awaiting approval by the Division One Council for a preseason training schedule that effectively begins on July 13th. Let me make sure I've got all of the details correct. So beginning on July 13th, um, for teams that are not doing week zero, if you're in week zero, then you would start on July 6th. Nebraska is not week zero. So start of of summer access to players, that's strength workouts, that's film study with coaches and players um, on eight, eight hour a week time period. But then beginning on July 24th, you switch to 20 hour weeks for two weeks, it's comparable to OTAs in the NFL. Um, you get work with a ball. You can do walkthroughs. The people that fake mowing the yard outside my apartment are <laughs> now back. I swear, they mow every Friday, and then I walk outside to take the dog for a walk, and the grass looks exactly the same as it did on Thursday. It's like you, they didn't do anything at all. So um, just the blades not down, bro. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. But they do it at the weirdest times. We try to podcast around them mowing the yard because some Fridays it's at eight thirty, some Fridays it's at seven a.m. when I'm sleeping, and some Fridays it's right when we're podcasting. Um, July twenty fourth, you get the beginning of two twenty hour weeks, and and the intent there is to get guys more physically prepared for the start of training camp. So everybody's just been sitting around idle for three months now and, and player safety was at the forefront of some of these conversations. And, and for the last month or so, we've been hearing about a possibility of a six week training camp. And, and um, the, the purpose of, of adding those extra two weeks was just, just so that you could, you could make sure that players were physically ready and that the risk for injury was a little bit, lesser so you're going to get two 20-hour weeks for ramping up activity they're going to be able to work with a ball then 29 days before your season begins 
fall camp begins. So for Nebraska, who begins the season on September 5th against Purdue, their fall camp will begin on August 7th. So that that's the recommendation that was passed. It's awaiting approval. Um, Pete Thamel said that the approval is just a formality. They're going to vote on it on June 17th, and, and this will be the schedule that we have. Greg, do you do you have any issues with the schedule? I mean, I don't know what those would be, but do you have any <laughs> issues with the schedule, or, or do you think that this is kind of – like I looked at it and I was like, I like that they, that they are factoring in player safety, and I like those those – two weeks were you in the same boat yeah um i was essentially right where you are and i think that, that it, <laughs> it's rare that you get that from something that the ncaa did where there's nothing to really complain about but in this case i think that that's the case um i i'm with you i i think that and i think a lot of coaches um around the country said this where you had to have some sort of ramp up period and start to factor in the fact that you just can't drop guys in cold, for lack of a better term, to then just start getting ready to play the season. Like there had to have been some time allotted to be able to get there and to get their bodies ready. So yes, I, I, I like what they did. I like, I really liked, and it sounds so silly when you say this out loud, but I really like the period there where you can work with a ball. So basically, because I don't know if, if people like fully understand there's this whole period of time in college sports or college football where you, like you can do stuff, but you can't actually use a ball. And so people will use like, like simulate throwing the ball and all of this stuff. And it's so goofy. Um, and so them actually doing that so you can get actual work, I think will be really helpful. Um, especially if you really like get into the nitty gritty and think about Nebraska's case specifically in which they're breaking in a whole bunch of new receivers. Um, that's going to be helpful. Frost said on Sports Nightly this week that the guys that they will need to win this season are close to being ready. Let me let me try to get this quote. Uh, we've been working for a while, and the vast majority of guys that we're going to need to win are almost football ready right now. So that got a lot of play on social media after he said it. I have no idea what that means. Is, are, Does it mean are, are they what just, I – Go ahead. What I took it to mean is that the guys that they need to count on have been doing their work, like, on their own. Like, it's kind of how I took that. So, Wandale and Omar, um, Alante, Brown, um, a couple other guys, like, have been working hard behind the scenes, like, during quarantine and won't need much of a ramp up period to get ready like that. Maybe I'm taking that the wrong way, um, but that's kind of how I read it to begin with. But that also means that like in the who they'll need to win portion of that, like <laughs> does that mean that he already has it in his mind of which of the like which guys are going to redshirt? Like cause you're going to have to have contributions from at least probably three of the five incoming like newcomers including omar manning like it, it's i don't know it, it, it's a little bit of a weird quote um but i i took it to mean that they've got some guys that have been keeping in good shape well so that was my issue they didn't have spring ball so how do you know already that the guys that you need to win are ready because that would mean that you already have a hierarchy in mind right yeah and they they're gonna be relying on young guys i don't know that's weird um 
I don't know. But that, that I mean, this was the plan. This was why they came back early. I saw that Northwestern isn't bringing its players back until June 22nd. Nebraska has 20 days on them. And this was the reason that they wanted to come back as soon as possible because Nebraska felt like it needed that time to get these new guys into shape. And if they feel like they're there, um, I mean, I, 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 you always have to take the we're physically ready and we had good practices comments with a grain of salt. Um, and we've learned that over the last two years, but this is, this is, this is the reason that they wanted to bring everybody back. So if they feel like they, they have a head start, um, that's good because Nebraska needed some kind of, um, leveling of the playing field. The thing that won't look the same is the recruiting aspect. You wrote about this a little bit this week, Greg. Um, it sounds like there's a possibility out there where college football could be conducted this season with no official visits. Yeah, it's it's a, a really it, it's not an I think I tweeted this. It's not something that I think a lot of fans want to consider, um, especially because it's such a it's a pivotal year in recruiting for, for Nebraska, because this in theory, year year three full third full class for Frost should really be like off the ground and really good if things were going in the direction they wanted him to be. So it's a pivotal class. Um, and you need, and Nebraska is unique in that they use those official, those game day weekends, um, as well as anyone around the country. And they need to use them as well as anyone in the country, just because that is Nebraska's thing, being able to get people here for the game day experience um, on official visits because you don't have the talent base in the surrounding area where guys can just pop over whenever they want, right? And which is why it was so important to have those visits be able to be spread out in the spring because those guys from far away can come see your school unofficially because they're out of school in the spring and summer. Um, I just don't know, and like I laid out in the piece this week, I don't know how you do these normal official visit weekends um, in that piece, I looked at the Northern Illinois game in which in so a non-conference game early in the season um, in which I think they had eight official visitors and it was like 40 to 50 unofficial visitors that weekend that I had for my list. Um, and no one comes alone. Right. And so they bring at least one parent, guardian or coach. So you're at least looking at 100 people and it's more than that. But be conservative, 100 people coming to Lincoln on any given weekend for recruiting visits. And the problem begins where you start to really think this through and say, OK, would Nebraska be responsible for testing all of those people? And if they were when exactly are they supposed to do those tests? Because you can't, you're not going to do them te or if testing capabilities are where they are now doing those tests when they get to Lincoln will not instantly tell you whether or not they have, have COVID-19 or not. Right. Um, so could you test them early? Like, because you really need two weeks. So do you test them two weeks ahead of time? Um, like, but then could they also did pick this up? while they're on the way out to Lincoln, then what do you do with all of these people that are in pretty close quarters and spaces um, during their visits? Like, it's just a real nightmare when you really start to break it down and think about it. And that right there was just high level surface stuff. Um, it's big, big stuff, but, but it's not even really getting deep into the nitty gritty of it. Well, and this is one of the things that like the NBA is dealing with right now and trying to figure out how their bubble is going to work in Orlando. Like the whole point of, of a bubble or quarantining a team is so that you can control the access that that everybody gets to your team so that you can control who is seeing your players. You can control where they're going. 
um, and, and kind of what they're being exposed to. If you're bringing people outside of that bubble that you have no control over where they've gone, who they've interacted with, what they've been doing, if you're bringing them into your environment, even if they're just interacting with one one coach for that weekend, like even if they're safe and they just say, talk to the position coach, that position coach is still then opened up to the possibility of, you know, somebody asymptomatic um, giving them the virus. And then that position coach goes into the meeting room with his team. And then the entire point of the bubble is shot. It's moot. Um, that would be a, not having official visits, that would be a major blow to Nebraska specifically. It would, it would be, but man, it would be really interesting because it's, I mean, obviously it would not just be happening to them. Um, so I would be really curious on some of the effects on that. And I, and, and like most of these conversations about visits and commits and all that end up going to my immediate thought is a guy like Thomas Bedoni, um, who has purposely waited to make any type of commitment or any further cut downs to his list because he wants to go and take official visits. Right. And he can go anywhere he wants in the country. Um, but I think the, the uh, there's a couple of places that he really wants to check out. He really wants to check out LSU, really wants to check out Notre Dame, really wants to check out Michigan. Right. Um, if he can't go to those places and he's only visited Nebraska and Iowa, will he end up just making a decision based on the information that he has? And then how many fan that out? How many different kids will have to do that same thing? Like, and what are you basing your decision on? Um, if you're a kid that like that's not like him, that has not visited a couple of schools multiple times, um, as we've seen some of the guys that are in Nebraska's class right now that haven't had a chance to visit Nebraska in person, like it, it's it's going to be fascinating if, if that ends up happening where you can't have visits on how guys are making those decisions, what factors are going into that and like how like they could not be swayed by big game day experiences. Uh, it, it would just all be really interesting. I guess a guy that is a Nebraska target who has visited Nebraska, not being able to visit LSU, I guess that's probably a pretty good thing for Nebraska. <laughs> in, in this and that one particular case, which is the most important uh, particular case, yes, that that would be good. Um, and I actually think I'm going to say this: I think that if if Fedoni had been able to take his visits during the spring and summer, I think that he would be in Nebraska's class right now. I think that the worst case scenario for Nebraska is actually that he can take that visit to LSU, for which I'm sure they're going to try and make that a night game um I, I don't know that you want that as a nebraska fan i'm not saying that uh lsu is like his front runner right now by any stretch but it that's one that that's difficult to overcome um so that might be the best like that whole situation with him is just fascinating a night game in death valley with the tiger is uh is a pretty good pretty good recruiting tool yes uh, the the other news of the week was that J.D. Spielman is not coming back. So um, may, maybe calling it news is um, a little bit of a misnomer, but J.D. Spielman uh, had been away from the team since um, Nebraska announced since March. I think it was March 2nd when they said he wasn't, um, that he had taken a, a leave of absence. And at the time, um, Nebraska said that the hope was that they were expecting him back for the start of uh, fall camp and that academics were going to be fine. Um, Spielman was uh, for a period of time in Omaha working out with Keith Williams. So he wasn't 
uh, he, he was in the state, um, but now he has uh, decided to put his name in the transfer portal. He's not coming back. Um, the message from Nebraska since that news came out was that this was a, um, a mutual parting of ways. Scott Frost was on um, Sports Nightly earlier this week talking about, uh, I don't have the quotes directly in front of me, but he was saying that it was, it in, in essence, was best for both parties to just move on and, and get a, a fresh start um, for Spielman. Getting a, a fresh start at a Division One college at an FBS school is going to be difficult. He's going to have to get a waiver. Um, I think multiple waivers, actually, if he's going to be able to play one um, to to not sit out because he's only got one year of eligibility left after he registered in 2016. Um, he hasn't graduated, but he also didn't finish um, the the last semester he was here at Nebraska. Um, so he's going to have to get a waiver on on that end as well. Um, the the news that Spielman has left has been uh, the reaction has been kind of split. People thinking, and this is where I'm at. Okay, crap! Like the day is finally here. He's announced that he's not coming back. What is Nebraska going to do to replace that production? Um, then then there's the other side of it, which is he was a distraction. He was um, a guy that was not fully bought in. Um, you know, addition by subtraction, so to speak. Greg, where do you where do you fall on the that line? Man, it, it's it's tough. Um, but I mostly, if I had to, I, I probably lean a little bit towards how are they going to replace that production? Um, just because for whatever like quote unquote distraction that JD posed and him not being uh, fully bought in and not wanting to really be like one of the leaders on the team, like vocal leaders on the team, like he still produced on Saturdays. Um, and so you've got to, and you being Scott Frost have to be able to find a way to like win and make your offense better with those guys. If that's the baseline that we're dealing with that while he may not be 100% of what you want, he is out there producing and giving it his all and like laying his body on the line for the team every week. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle there because it is going to be difficult to just replace that production. But at the same time, it can also be true um, that the team is more cohesive without him around. Um, and I, I still don't like, I'm, I'm still a little bugged by the whole mutual parting of ways thing. Um, and we'll see like maybe what Frost means in that um, is that it, it, they're not in limbo at this point. So like they just decided together that, Hey, we need to make a decision on this because I'm, I've always kind of been told that Frost and JD have not had a conversation since he left, like since JD left the team and what do you said March? Right. Yeah. Um, and so if he's been back to Nebraska a couple of times for sure and they've not sat down, maybe Frost got to the point where he's like, OK, we just need to make a decision one way or the other here and we'll just be we'll be fine either way. But we need to know what you're going to do. Well, it could be one of those situations where um, I, that's a good point. It, it could be one of those situations where he just looked at it and said, if you don't want to be here, then it's best for both parties that we don't force you to be here. Maybe that's that's the way to interpret those words. Um, you know, we, we have experience in, in Frost's two years here of him saying something and we interpret it one way and it's meant a different way. And, and then it causes a little bit of friction. But um, I, I just have a hard time squaring the. The, the you're going to be fine without Spielman reaction. And there was a lot of revisionist history happening and that people were saying that he wasn't somebody that Nebraska could rely on. He was somebody that got a lot of his um, 
his his numbers in garbage time. He was somebody that Nebraska couldn't count on in tough moments to deliver. I mean, what was the Illinois game? Um, right. He 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 had four targets in all of the 2019 season in the fourth quarter when Nebraska was trailing by, uh, I think I, I said 10 points or eight points or more. Um, so more than one touchdown, he had four targets and zero catches. So he wasn't getting the bulk of his yards in, in garbage time. You could look at the Ohio state game. Um, was it two years ago when he had crazy numbers and they lost, or maybe the Wisconsin game from 2017 when he had crazy numbers and they got blown out. Um, and that's about it. It's just it's one of those things. I was critical of Spielman after the season ended. If you go back and look at the Iowa game, um, and this was a column that I wrote after the game, he's he he, he fades um, when he's not directly involved in the play. He kind of fades. He wasn't he wasn't somebody that was giving 100 percent effort, or at least that's what it looked like um, when he was asked to block on the perimeter. And with all of the context surrounding that Iowa game, Nebraska needed that win to go to a bowl game. They were one game away from going to a bowl game. So everybody needed to be fully bought in and completely on board with whatever needed to be done. And to see um, a, a little bit of maybe 50% effort or 60% effort on, on, on plays was, was a little worrisome. Um, but I think the way that I wrote it then was that if this is not Spielman's last game, and at that point, the only reason I thought it wouldn't be his last game was that he was would go to the NFL draft. And I said, if this is not Spielman's last game, Nebraska needs more from him. Nebraska needed him to be more like Stanley Morgan from the intangible standpoint. If he was the face of that room, he was the leader of that room, he needed to be the guy that was going to carry the banner for that room, so to speak. And last year, that guy was Wando Robinson. It was not J.D. Spielman. And so I said that they needed more from him. They still needed him, but they needed more from him. They needed him to be more of the well-rounded receiver instead of just the guy that's going to show up on Saturdays when you call his number, which he did. Yeah, he absolutely did. But I think that that I, I think that what you're asking of him and what I, I, I assume is what that's exactly what Frost and company were asking from him just didn't seem like that was in him. It, it did not seem like that was something that he was wanting to do. And it's not to me. It, it is about the on-field stuff, like you mentioned with the, the, the blocking, the full effort um, in that Iowa game in particular. But it's even more so about just what it takes to be one of the leaders of, of that unit, be a face of really the offense. Like, in, really, he should have been the guy on the offense, period, last year, including Adrian Martinez, you can make the argument, um, because he had been here the longest of those guys and has been the most accomplished and productive, right? Um, and because he he just was unwilling to do that, we kind of saw that coming early in the season or before the season that they just had and then people get tired of hearing about this, but they, they just had kind of a leadership void with that group because you just had a weird mix on that offense of guys kind of coming into their own that were young. You had a couple of offensive linemen at that point who didn't really talk all that much. Your best offensive lineman doesn't really talk at that point. And Brendan Hymas, he's already talked more. It feels like in this one session that we got with them back in March um, than we did, 
you know, all of last season. And so it just provided, there was a void there in a vacuum where you needed JD to be some, one of the people that stepped up into that. And he did not. And like you mentioned, that was filled by a true freshman, a talented true freshman um, and a guy who's more than willing to do it and is capable of doing it. Wandale Robinson, but there's also going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for him trying to go into that role as well. Yeah, it's one of those things I know people are going to roll their eyes and people did roll their eyes when when it was brought up. But there, it there it was telling that from the pass catchers perspective, the two most prominent voices were really Austin Allen and Wanda Robinson. And, um, you know, if, if J.D. is not a, a talker, if J.D. doesn't want to talk to the media, then he certainly doesn't have to. But, um, it, you know, it's it's funny to to listen to um, conversations with like former greats guys who played professionally and and now maybe you're doing something in media or or maybe are still kind of in the public spotlight and and talk about how like you know when you're really good you you view they view it as an obligation they view it as a responsibility um it 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 is interesting to kind of uh compare that to a guy who who you know yes it is his right if he doesn't want to talk he doesn't have to we're not nobody's forcing him to do it but um, that that has always been an, an interesting discussion to me. And um, Wando Robinson is a guy that now now it's squarely on his shoulders. And, and he's seemingly he's fine with that. Um, you, you kind of get into this a little bit in your yearbook piece, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that it's been that way with him for a long time. Um, he's been kind of the guy for not just a wide receiver group, but for an offense in general. Um, he's going to be the guy this season. If you look at what they have coming back, he has 40 career catches. Cade Warner has 15 career catches. Chris Hickman has one career catch, and that's it. That's all their wide receiver room has um, at the FBS level. So he's going to be not just the go-to guy on the field and the guy that defenses really kind of focus in on and try to take away, um, but he's also going to have to be the guy off the field and somebody that, that will bring people along and somebody that will help out the younger guys and somebody that will talk to the media and be kind of that face for the room um, as you've gotten to know him a little bit more personally. I mean, you obviously had that time on the recruiting trail with him when he was a, a, a prospect, but throughout the process of writing your story, talking to him, talking to his dad, talking to his family, um, it, it kind of seems like people should have confidence in, in Wandale's ability to do that. Yeah, I, I definitely think you should have confidence in Wandale's ability to do that. Because, and for a couple of reasons, like you mentioned, he was this is always this is not new for him. Um, he's always been in this position, so he's comfortable with it. Um, and, and so and he understands that this is what's required of him. It also there was a one of my I think it was the second kind of cutting room floor piece that I did for the website um, about like kind of his workouts over during quarantine because of the situation with his dad owning a gym. He didn't miss a beat with his workouts. But when I talked to them about those workouts, the first thing that his father Dale said to me was, is yeah, we're working on just a leadership piece. Like Wandale was fine with the workouts. Like I didn't have to tell him to get up and go do that. He was doing that on his own. Um, We talked a lot about leadership and his role on the team and what it means to now be, um, um, the guy in the room, to your point. So that's something that they're definitely thinking about and something that he's embracing um, fr- from ju- just a mental standpoint. 
But then also the other side of it is, and you mentioned this and when you said like he'll be a guy that has to bring people along, I can't think of, there's not probably a better example for you in that, in that receiver room um, to, for younger guys to follow or for other guys just in general to follow, even though he's one of now the elder statesmen in the room, which is ridiculous as a true sophomore. Um, but you, but if you're, you know, Will Nixon or Marcus Fleming or Xavier Betts or whoever coming into the program, that is a guy that you want to emulate from a work ethic standpoint um obviously from a talent standpoint but then also um he always w- w- has been talked about as a as a really smart football player and someone that gets it and that's evidenced um by the fact that he essentially learned two positions last year and had to play two different positions um if you remember back to last year when before that Illinois game or after the Illinois game, when he was asked about playing running back and they asked him, someone asked him, Hey, like how much of this did you do during the week? And he goes, not really much. Like we did a little bit, but I just kind of got it. Like that's the type of stuff that you really can't teach, but he can also then try to bring guys along and continue to have like it continue to rub off on them with, with his work ethic as well. I think that he'll be a great example uh, for that room. So the let's talk about the running piece of it because I, I think everybody can agree that J.D. Spillman played out of position last year um, a, a little bit so as to to allow Wanda Robinson to play that kind of duck R position or play in the slot or do some of the things that he did. Um, you probably saw on Twitter Mike Williams made a similar claim that he played out of position all of last year. Um, Nebraska had a lot of receivers. Nebraska had a lot of um, – positional redundancy I would call it in the wide receiver room and I said that in 2018 when they brought in all of the guys that looked exactly the same um they had they had guys playing out of position Wandale as a wide receiver probably wasn't playing a role or playing the role that he played how, how can I phrase this the role that he played last year as a wide out is probably what you're going to see him doing again this year but the running piece of it, how active do you expect him to be in the run game? He had 88 carries last year. Is, is that too many? Yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's too many. Um, and it's the type of carries. It, it, it's you have to, You'd have to get inside. And I don't know if you've done this, so forgive me. But like, like if you've like actually gone and looked to see like where his carries came from, because I would guess that too many of them came between the tackles. Like he can be, I, I, in my mind, he should be used as a running back or someone that motions into the backfield. But it needs to be more on the perimeter. Like there has to be a more more concerted effort to get him the ball on the, on the edge and space to let him make one guy miss um and then go right um and so I, I think that he'll still be used in some form as a guy that comes into the backfield, but it should not be like him, like coming out of the huddle lined up to lined up next to Adrian Martinez and then running um, inside zone like the, those days hopefully should be few and far between. Uh, he had 31 carries between the tackles. Less than I thought it would be. It's still too many, probably. But yeah, but still too many. It's one of those things where, like, he's still gonna get carries. Like, I've I've written a couple times that he's gonna play much more exclusively at wide receiver, but he's still gonna get carries because wide receivers still get carries in their offense. Like, they're still gonna want to give him the football in design run plays because they just want to get guys the ball as early as possible, or, or I should say get 
these types of players the ball early as possible so that they can make people miss and do damage and get out in open space. So he's still going to get carries. But to your point, what is that? A, a little over a third of of his runs as a true freshman and a, of what a five foot nine true freshman were between the tackles. Um, and like, I don't remember him getting many carries at all in non-conference play. And, and I would venture to say the bulk of those 31 were in big 10 play. That's, that's, that's a tough ask for a guy. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's it's as also just kind of thinking about those games and those carries. It was a lot of times where it felt like it was predictable and you knew that that run up the inside was coming from him. Um, and there were those times where the offensive line was just struggling to block anyway. Like it would be different if Nebraska's offensive line was blowing holes open um, because he is good at running. It, it's weird. I think he is good at running between the tackles um, better than I think you would probably think given his size because he has such good vision and, and short area quickness. Um but it was just not something that you wanted to rely on. And I think it makes your overall offense more dangerous. If you're in a situation where he's playing that duck R slot type of back in which he's in motion, which you're trying to get him on the edge, like defenses are certainly going to have to account for him. And if you have to account for him and where he is at all times, that's someone else that you have to take attention off of, right? That's just one less thing that you can divert towards Omar Manning, or that's one less thing towards Travis Vokalek or, or Dedrick Mills or then Adrian Martinez in the QB run game. Like it, it I, there's a good trickle down effect there. If I think if you're using Wandale properly, uh, because, him as a decoy once they get the thing ramped up should also be very very effective for this offense yeah for sure well let's get to your audio with dale greg thank you for joining the podcast this week hey thanks for having me and for anybody listening at home that might have young ears within earshot there are two swear words in this 12 minute section one's at the the 46 ish minute mark and one is around the, the 52 minute mark um, just wanted to give you guys a quick disclaimer in case, you know, you were maybe like my mother-in-law who gets mad at me when I swear. So those are both in there. Here's Dale. Our upbringing is kind of really very similar, though. Honestly, the, he just was the only, I mean, he's not the only child, but he has an older brother. But, like, I have three siblings. I have two younger brothers and a older sister. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of grew up. I mean, it's a two-parent household, but my dad went to prison. His dad went to prison. So it's kind of uh-huh. the same. You know, we went to high school. I mean, went to two different high schools, Crosstown Rivals. Actually, he went to Western Virginia with the Frank County. He was both Crosstown Rivals uh-huh. when I was growing up. Well, still now. And he was a star, and I was a star football player. But I played quarterback. He played Everything, <laughs> you know, he played. I played quarterback. He played everything. I ended up being one of the first people in my town to ever get a Division One scholarship, uh-huh. and he's the one that got the major scholarship. You know, to a Power Five school or whatever. So, but growing up, the funny part is we worked at the same. We had the same jobs. Really, we had the same. Like he worked at the pool. Mm-hmm. I worked at the pool. Uh huh. He worked at Lee Brick and Masonry. I worked at Lee Brick and Masonry. Okay. Growing up, so you know we kind of had a similar the same 
grow, I mean, upbringing, and we was, we was raised, we, like, we both had the same love for our mothers that we, that we, was the exact same, like, we do everything that we supposed to do for our mother, like, we'll do anything for our moms, so, that's always, like, that's the same, but far as, like, we always had an outside family that always make kind of like took care of us. Mm-hmm. Like I had an outside family that took care of me. He had an outside family, the Hawkins, that like kind of like pick up the slack or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we kind of both had the kind of like the same very upbringing. It was it's crazy how it, it's very very super similar. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like the same. That's kind very of similar. Do so you think that that contributes to you guys' relationship then? Yes, our relationship now. Our relationship has always been like super tight. Like. Once I got out, he was four. The first time I got out, he was four, and we formed a bond. Well, I went, I went, I got locked up the first time when he was six months, and then I got out. He was four, and we had formulated a bond from there, from then on in, and then from that we was like together all the time. It was like every day, even though I was still doing what I was doing, I always still make sure I was with my son. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. As we, as we, as he got older, I start putting him in football at a younger age, which I started football until I was like eleven. But I always played football in the hood, so mm-hmm. we always kind of knew how to play football. I just never played organized football. Right. But he started at five, which was not supposed to be playing tackle. No, he put early. <laughs> he was supposed to be playing flag, right. but I didn't like flag because I felt I felt flag taught bad mechanics. Uh-huh. So there was a girl that I knew that had a son the same, a little bit older than one of them, that was six. So I used their, her birth certificate to slide it into the, a Louisville lead. So we drove literally 50 miles every day to football practice at five years old. Because they have, because Louisville's 50 miles from Frankfurt. Okay. So I literally drove him to football practice every day in Louisville to play, just so I didn't want to play flag. And he ended up starting playing tailback with six and eight year olds. And he scored like a couple times, mm-hmm. and then the next year they end up having tackle where we're from. I end up being his coach, and he was so far advanced than the kids at six and eight years old. It was crazy. <clears throat> like honestly, like if you see him running in high school film, mm-hmm. he ran the same way in five mm-hmm. six years. I actually, if you go on YouTube and look at and tag one, type in one deal, and you scroll enough, you'll see an old football film. When he was six years old. So okay, so I've heard about that. Like, and I'm going to ask one of y'all. So is that that's actually him? That that was because I've seen that video floating around. That's that actually him. okay. That's actually him. I had a video made and I put it on YouTube, and it's that's how he's been ever since. <laughs> and he always been like the littlest guy on the field, but like you would not know he's the littlest guy on the yeah. field. But also, you would know that he was probably the best player on the field because it was just something that. He just—it was just natural. Like he just enjoyed it. He has fun. He loves it, you know. And then the one thing I always did teach him though was <clears throat> because a lot of kids get on the field, they scared mm-hmm. stuff like that. I tell him, listen, when you step on the field, you have to know that you're the best player on the field. And this is starting at five. Mm-hmm. And the funny part, if you ask him today, he'll tell you the same answer. Like, who's the best player on the field? He'd be like I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if Randy Moss. I don't care if whoever's on the field. He feel like he's the best player on the field, and that's the mindset you gotta have. So that's been ingrained in him from five years old. 
So you think then that so between because I I talked about a lot so I've picked that up as well. But knowing the thing though about the driving fifty miles at age five, do you think that those two things combined, driving fifty miles, and you you ingraining that mindset in them, you think that that's where the work ethic comes from? Then that's the work ethic because this is how I knew he in the this is how he gained the heart because like they used to have to practice like the upper team, mm-hmm. the older team, they would smack the shit. Out of Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he would lay on the ground. I'd be like, "You ready to go?" I'd be like, "No." Nope. I'd like, "Get up, get on back in there." Then sometimes they would smack him too. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, that's just been who he is. That's the the heart. Like, I don't, I, I take a hit, I get back up mm-hmm. because it, it was embedded in early. Like, it's something that you are taught. It ain't something that you was, some people was born with. Some people are taught to have mm-hmm. heart. So, I just. That and that's, I feel like that right there was the start of Wanda Robinson. Huh. So then why going back to something else that you said that that about you and this it kind of goes with this about you it being important to you to always be with him and y'all were always together and you were teaching him this stuff. Where did that come from for you? Like what? Why that did came you from me want because I didn't have that at home. Mm-hmm. Because my dad never actually really was that super hands on with me. Mm-hmm. Not until me and my brother started playing football together. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's why I was like, I have to be something different. Okay. But I was actually something different. I was also the same. You see what I'm saying? Because I ended up leaving it. Yeah. And so did you, do you think that that made it, though, did that make it even more where you wanted to make sure that you were doing that stuff? Because even though, you know, you went through what you went through and you left him, you still knew in the back of your mind, no, but I still want to <laughs> impart this stuff on Yeah, them. I definitely want to impart this stuff on So why, even while I was in prison and when I got locked up when he was six, I still always talked to him. I always had these conversations with him. Like, we never, it was never like a, you got to do this. It was just more like a conversation with me and him. It's always a conversation with me and him. Like, it's never, when you get in trouble with the what's the name? It wasn't me. I'm going to drill you about yeah. smoking weed like Come on, man, you, you're 18 years old. You're going to mess up. But I'm going to explain to you how to correct it. Right. But, like, you already doubting yourself by me yelling at you. Don't make it no better. You know what I'm saying? I just push, keep pushing you down into the ground. So let's figure out how we can. That's, what's the solution? That's how I look at it. Like, let's find the solution. Let's not keep harping on the problem. Let's find the solution. Mm-hmm. No, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but like That's when, fine. so when you, so you mentioned, so when you guys would talk when you were locked up, and he, you said when he was six or he got yeah, I, out. I, I got locked up when he was six, <clears throat> and he is the, I, 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 my oldest son too, like, but he just wasn't there because he's by another woman. Mm-hmm. But if both of my kids was there, when I had to tell my son that I was going to be gone for ten years, like I probably would be floored. But this so happened that he was the one there, and when I left from that. When I left him that glass, telling him that I was going to be gone for six years, and seeing those tears, like, I'm not going to be able to play. I'm not going to be able to. My dad going to be able to take me to football practice no more. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to do Chuck E. Cheese. We're not going to be able to go shopping and stuff like that. And then the tears, and I'm like, you you got to change. Because I didn't have none of these dreads. When I left, when I, when I left him from that glass, that's when I started growing hair. Because I know it's going to come back and be somebody different. Right. I was going to be a different man. I'll be a man that they can see as an example, not someone that's keep giving you advice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when, 
then when you guys are having those conversations <clears throat> while you locked up and he's six and he's seven, he said he's going through that. So then what are those conversations like trying to do the trying to parent it's and very do hard. that for a nigga say yeah. Because it's very hard because you 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 know, you more so like it's like back to the advice, but like you know, I'm trying to explain to him everything that I went through and all the stuff that I did. Like, listen, Ronnie, you can't do this. Like, you got to be this. You got to do this. Because if not, then you're going to do, you're going to be where I'm at. You know, and that's why I kind of think that's why he takes the steps that he takes. Because he has the example not to do that, follow that blueprint. Right. There's another blueprint for you. Like, you have all the talent in the world. Like, you can break this generational curse. So, take these steps. So, and the conversation was very... Not super mature until later, but far as just like general elementary conversation, something that he can understand, you know, and then just let him know, like, listen, do you make sure you make good grades, you know, be respectful to your mama, stuff like that, and just general little stuff that he could build on and keep going forward. And then so at what point on the, the football portion of that, what, what is, how do you, like, as you see him, so as he's, what, six, seven, he's, he's still doing the same stuff he was doing when he was five, <laughs> made the video right, and what the stuff that he would go mm-hmm. on to continue to do. So what was it like, and how difficult was it for you to know that that stuff was out there happening, but you couldn't be a part, a of, part it. of it? Like, that's like trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's, Gratifying to know that your son's out there doing what he was love, what he loved to do, and something that you started him in, like that's the joy and the pain. Joy is like mixed together because you can't be there cheering him on. You can't be at the stands or whatever the case may be. You just can't be there, and it's and it's heartbreaking. But you know, you find that joy. Like my son is doing what he loves to do, and he's actually doing it. Like you're not. He's doing something that you embedded in him. You know, so. That's that's the thing. Like it's it's super hard. Like, and to be you have to be in the situation to totally understand. Mm-hmm. You know, you lay down at night and like that was my that's my kid. Is somebody at this game or you know is somebody making sure he's okay and you know just little stuff like that. Like, and that's the stuff that you think about while you lay down at night and then you get mad at yourself sometimes because like damn I I did this to my kids. Like I didn't do it to me. I did it to my kids. I left my kids. To fend for themselves, mm-hmm. and though they still had families there or his mom them there, but you still like there's nothing like having that your dad, someone that you had this personal relationship with that you were stuck to like glue. You know, like if I came home at night and I didn't take my shoes off, he'd be like, "Dad, where you going? Mm-hmm. Um, take your shoes off." <laughs> I'm like, "I ain't going over." He said, "Why you get shoes on?" And I'm like, and that stuff that you remember, like, damn, I'm like I fucked up. If you want the full story, you got to make sure that you get the 2020 Hale Varsity yearbook. You'll get more from Wandale. You'll hear from Dale. You'll hear from several other people who were key factors in Wandale's life growing up. I've read it. It's really, really good. Um, I think it's one of the best things that Greg has done for Hale Varsity. Uh, so make sure that you are, are getting yourself or someone that you care about the 2020 Hale Varsity football yearbook. is coming out soon. Make sure to keep reading HaleVarsity.com. Subscribe to the More To It podcast. Listen to the Hail Varsity radio show. Follow us on social media. There are lots of places that you can consume Hail Varsity content. Uh, we appreciate you, and we'll be back next week.